1: Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is
0: Chickie Fitzgerald with The Game Changer. Network, and we have got a real treat for you today. Actually, it's a treat for me uh, because we have got a, a show all about entrepreneurialism, and uh, the name of the book we're going to be talking about today is The Startup J-Curve, and our author guest today is Howard Love. Howard,
1: welcome. Uh, thanks, Chickies. Uh I'm excited to be here, and thanks for having me.
0: Oh, well, as I said, it's a real treat for me because uh, I found out at at, uh, actually a fairly late stage in life that I was born to be an entrepreneur, and so it's been an awesome journey, but I am really, really interested in hearing about the six steps to entrepreneurial success uh, so that I can do a little bit of course correction on my current venture and uh, why before we dive into the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and and how you came to uh, actually write this book?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I guess I was lucky uh, to uh, discover I was an entrepreneur at an early age, and uh, one of the ways you discover that is you 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 struggle to work for others. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I I definitely uh, did always have, I, I, so I'm not particularly proud of it. It's like an affliction, you know, I, I but I never really had the ability to go out and kind of get into just a normal job um, despite my dear mother, you know, um, frequently referring, you know, to talking to me after college and says, you know, in the sort of, when are you going to get a real job conversation, right. um, which uh, actually never really happened, but um, I started uh, a company or two while I was at uh, Colgate, which is where I went to college. And because um, I wasn't uh terribly into college either really, the truth is. Uh but um uh partner and I started uh a, a company or two that um we, we technically started two companies, but one emerged from that. And um I've been starting companies ever since. Uh and have founded or co founded about fifteen companies and invested in another 50 or 60, and I've just always been an entrepreneur, and I have the dubious claim to fame that I've never really had a real job.
0: (laughs) Well, it took me a little while longer than you to figure that out. I spent uh, a good uh, 15 to 20 years in corporate life, but the good news about that is I got to be an intrapreneur, buying companies with other people's money, when I still had a salary, and but I, I but I got to go through all the same things of pitching it internally, and I I don't know uh, yes. if you know Bob Crandall, uh, you know who was the American CEO Alliance. of American Airlines. Of well, Bob the was the first one that I uh, borrowed five million dollars from uh, to do a venture uh, within the Sabre organization, which is where I, wow. I
1: spent my. He was a tough guy. He must have been pretty good at pitching him.
0: Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I was in my early 30s or maybe even my late 20s. And, uh, yeah, it was a real lesson in um, in communication,
1: really. Yep. Uh, so and his particular form of communication, as I recall, was quite direct and blunt.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, after we acquired the company, uh, about a year later, he came over to get an update on it, and we showed him a demo, and he told me that the product was as user-friendly as a scorpion. (laughs) And I guess I didn't know enough of how horrified I should have been, but it was another two years later, uh, and we had uh, taken our product into Unisys, uh, Sun Microsystems and digital equipment. It happened to be a Unix based expense reporting platform. Okay. And uh it was very interesting because, you know, we were just getting ready to launch in these three major companies. But the company within the company, of course, had not made any money yet. And he saw it on a list of projects in a big staff meeting with about 40 people. And he said, is that still around? Shut that down. And then he went on to the next item on the agenda, and I didn't even get to say a word. And uh, later after the meeting, he came up and he said, hey, if we thought you were doing a bad job, we would have gotten rid of you. But, you know, we just got rid of the business. So uh, that was that was my um, a baptism into entrepreneurialism.
1: Yeah. It's... Um, um- You know, there's actually a number of advantages um, to sort of starting out your, you know, feeling out your entrepreneurial um, uh, uh, sort of um, roots and getting started inside a company. Because you said kind of the key issue, which is you get to do it kind of on someone else's dime. And, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur is so tough. Uh, on your own so to be able to do it within a corporation is mm-hmm. is quite a blessing and it's great to get that experience Well it too.
0: is and and it gave us really a lot more runway than if we yep. had had raised the money from a VC or you know uh any any number of the other ways uh that you can do that Well how have you all have all
1: those re- and you also mm-hmm. have all those resources uh within a company. Yes and you and then you develop all you know all sorts of contacts so, I, you know, I'm very optimistic for folks who have worked inside companies and, you know, w- want to strike it out and, and on their own and try their own thing because there's actually uh-huh. a number of advantages that, uh, you know, that you can have by doing that.
0: Well, and, and the other interesting thing, Howard, is I actually went uh, – I stepped out of corporate life 20 years ago. Uh, But I spent the first half of of that 20 years uh, doing strategic consulting. So I was actually on the services side of being in my own business. And I really don't consider that having an entrepreneurial business or having to apply the kinds of principles that you're talking about in the startup J-curve. Because if you don't have – assets or you're not having to invest, whether it be in technology or, or goods and, you know, have, have a staff, it's very, very different. And so I, I really realized that it was 10 years ago when I raised my, my first external capital and built my first technology company that that's when I became an entrepreneur. Yeah. So uh-huh. tell tell us about the. The six steps and and how this came about as a methodology that I'm I'm presuming you use now as a, a metric and a measurement uh, in the companies that you do invest in.
1: Yeah, I mean they came about first. You know, the, the first thing that really came about was just the shape of what happens, and and we ultimately referred to that as a J curve. And so, um, I, most entrepreneurs, uh, almost all of them, start and particularly the first time ones, and even the second and the third. Um, they they think that the uh, world operates that that their startup is going to sort of if you could imagine a straight line is going to start at the beginning and that's point A and then just just overly simplify it point B is uh, the success <laughs> point and that's just, just like a straight line up and to the right, right. and what we what we realized and and discussions with my venture partner David Heeman, who I've been uh, investing with and and creating companies with for for 20 plus years, is that all these companies that we've been associated with and 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 this includes almost all the successful companies that we've invested with and or co-founded. Um, they, y- you start off at this point and it and it's sort of wonderful and and you have this idea and you create this PowerPoint deck and you talk to friends about it, and, and it's it's quite euphoric, actually, right there at the sort of <laughs> right. very beginning, right? I mean, everything's great. You don't have any problems, because it's, it's just a PowerPoint deck, you know? It's, there's, no, there's no particular <laughs> reality attached to it. And um, so, and then you realize that things um, as you sort of actually start down the path, um, that yeah, life is a little tougher than you sort of imagined. Um, you know, it's a little tougher to get the team members together maybe or maybe some of the team members aren't quite what you thought. It's uh it's always tougher to raise money than you think. Uh and it always takes longer to actually create a product uh than than, than you had in the PowerPoint deck. And and so I call that and and so you're sort of um you know, you're dipping down and then you, and then you, and I call that first phase re, uh, create. The second phase is called release, and that's when you try and get the product out there. And of course, there's all sorts of challenges uh, associated with with actually releasing a product. And right. then usually, what happens after you release it is precisely nothing. Um, nobody really cares, and the first product <laughs> almost never works. And so, if you can imagine, what we're sort of tracing down is this sort of dip in the J, right? Right. right. And the bottom of the J is is kind of around there. It's it's it's, it's kind of post-release, where you, you know you 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 have essentially uh, crickets. You know, n- nobody cares. The product doesn't sell. It doesn't work. And and so you know you, you're sitting there in a in a pretty precarious situation. From that point, you can kind of, you know, uh, go out of business and, 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 and you know, or, and stick with it and be pigheaded and stubborn and everything else. Or you, can, or you can be flexible and creative and move into the next phase, which is what I call morph. And morph is right. where you take a little bit of glimmer of hope that there's almost always there from that initial product release. And you say, well, what if we did more of that? And what if we did less of the things that we thought would be neat but actually nobody cares about? And so you go through y- y- that process of doing iterations and you become something else, something else that something other than what was in the original business plan. And that's the morph stage. And now we're heading up a little bit because now you're actually starting to make real progress. And then after you figure out the product, and you have sort of this uh, you know, uh, product market fit, and you're getting substantial customer traction, then you go into the fourth phase, which is what I call model. And models, just exactly what it says. It's where you're trying to figure out the business model. So once you actually know what the product is, then you need to figure out how to make money right. and what the whole business model is going to be. And now we're starting to accelerate up the sort of right-hand part of any J-curve and you move into scale, so once you figure out the product and the business model it's time to blow it out, get it out into the world, scale it up, scale up revenues and 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 scale up um uh, your sales and marketing, get it out into the world and that's that's the phase I call scale right. and then after scale, when you've really kind of blown the product out, you move into what I call harvest phase, and harvest is 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 sort of <laughs> where you we all want to end up in a business, which is where the business is profitable. It's throwing off cash. You're firmly established, and you can start to do things like, you know, say, what do I do with all this cash I'm making? Um, right. And you can distribute dividends. You can do stock buybacks. You can IPO. You can actually, it's a good time to sell the company if you're interested in doing that. Or, if uh, better yet, um, you stick around. You use the cash for... Investments in brand, or new products, or new product extensions, or acquisitions, and just all sorts of fun stuff. So right, right. that composite creates what I call the J curve. And then going back to the, the beginning of, of 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 my comments here is you can see how different that is from the expectation that it goes in a straight line up and to the right. And that's really the purpose of the book. You know, I right. called the startup J curve
0: well and and it's reality I mean this is reality and and you know the interesting thing is in in my last couple of businesses um i I had about eight years ago uh we raised seven million dollars uh to build a a technology that is still desperately needed in the travel industry uh-huh. and and we built it. And we, you know, brought on the the dream team. You know, I mean, we did all the things that that sound like that straight line up, Mm. right, Mm. except for we fell off the edge of the earth when uh, the product was positioned uh, on a merchandising basis in a place where it never had any visibility. And, you know, we were partnering with a company that at the time was the number two uh, online travel company In the world, and and we thought, you know, we can't lose. We've got four places we're positioned on their site. Well, they forgot to tell us that we were going to be in rotating ad space instead of having our own persistent placement, right? So, you know, we pretty quickly, uh, you know, fell down on, on that business model place. And so, you know, you have to go back and and then you know in in many cases you you do start again and you go back to that morph stage and and uh, you know embracing radical change uh is something that i uh you know i, I certainly have done many times in my career um but yeah. I, I want to get back to the beginning of the book because bef- uh, and thank you so much for walking through uh those six steps because i think it's really important to have that as a foundation for the overall discussion yeah. so the value of a map is your very first chapter of the book and and really laying out that that roadmap and that and that plan of where it is that you're going and and I know you've met a lot of different kinds of entrepreneurs and and from the tech oriented person who maybe doesn't have some of the business sense to the business sense and the idea person who has no clue how to get something built mm-hmm. um so tell us where that roadmap begins and and when you're ready to actually uh move out of that create phase into the release phase.
1: Yeah, I mean, um the 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 I I guess you're asking about the, you know, the the very very early part. You have the genesis of an idea um, you know, and that idea phase is really really uh, kind of interesting, um, and gosh, you could probably write a whole book on that. But I, I, I did write at least a whole chapter on it. And there's, there's a number of actually, I would say, um, sort of misconceptions about that idea phase. The first is, uh, and, and a couple of very important ones. Uh, the first is that let's just say, you know, it's sort of ideas either happen one or two ways. You either just hits you in the face, right? or or you say well i actually don't have an idea and but i want to i know i want to sort of go do my own thing and those right. are kind of two different things and the second one is uh wildly overlooked um because i think there's this misconception that um, the great ideas and the great companies that have been built, you know, the founder just had some sort of, a, you know, moment of genius where he, you know, was communicating <laughs> with God, and God
0: <laughs> yeah, told him,
1: go forth and build Facebook. Um, right. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, what happens is people do have ideas, but they're, they're you know, and, and, and we've all had sort of inspirations like this would be really cool or whatever, and and that's great, and that can happen um and and uh the first thing to do is is to go socialize that idea and see if any of your friends or family or you know like uh, people that are close to you think it's an equally good idea and um so it, it, and that's sort of one way we'll call that sort of you know hits you in the hit you know hits you in the face in the middle of the night the other is is kind of um um in a way more interesting is that um and we have done this quite regularly uh, where we actually, we we, meaning my venture partner David Heeman and I, we, we actually identify the person the, uh, that we want to go into business with. And right. we actually don't have an idea. Um, and, w- you know, and, and often the person's baffled when we approach them and, and they're like, well, <laughs> what are we going to do? And we're like, uh, we don't know, but we'll figure <laughs> it out. You know, <laughs> and we'll figure it out and 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 the point is and, and there are ways to figure it out and i and i and I go through in the book sort of a, a process of there's different types of ideas, and this is right. you know how you get your 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 head in the right place to start looking for opportunities and here's when you might notice one and so forth. but the real point is that from our perspective, having you know d- done this for twenty plus years is we Realize that the initial idea almost never works anyway. So there's this misconception that the initial idea is like the big thing, right? And that everything else is, you know, I don't know, whatever. They went out and executed it. It's really the inverse. The initial idea almost never works. So, you know, David and I, we don't put a whole bunch of stock in it necessarily. It's right. like let's think it through by all means and let's be excited about it by all means and let's have that idea be in a field that the entrepreneur and, and, and to a lesser degree is have, have real passion for because in the end what matters is um, the person, that, you know, the founder and their commitment to the process we don't necessarily want them committed to the initial idea, the product. We want right. them committed to the enterprise. We want them co- committed to the undertaking. And to some degree, we want them committed to whatever the the bigger mission statement is. But specifically what the product is going to be, um, you know, we don't, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not the critical thing because the critical thing is the individual who's going to go through the process of creating a successful company. So mm-hmm. it's it, it, it's it's really interesting, um, and um, you know that that that's what we've seen. D- just sort of as a uh, an interesting um, you know metric, uh, just for fun. You know, David and I, and I've talked to lots of other venture capitalists about this. Like, well, you know, if you had to put a value on the initial idea, what kind of value would you put on it? And I think if you ask that question to most people, they'd say, well, 50% or, you know, I don't know, some, some very big number, 60%, right. 70% or whatever. Um, our take is the initial idea, and this is only if it's a really, really good one where I, we look at it and say, wow, that, that seems, seems like a really, really good idea. Um, our take is about 5% of the company. Um, that's all it's worth, you know. And so if you embrace that up front, that the initial idea is, you know, it's terribly interesting, and I'm not saying it's not important, but it's the process that matters. um, Because, you know, your average startup is a 10 to 15-year undertaking. That's a long time. And so if you look at it that way, what's really going to matter is the people involved and uh, commitment to the to the process and and you know ensuring the long term success
0: right well it's so interesting um well a lot of what you have said uh you know i've i've encountered each of those situations. And lately, I've been hanging around a lot on on a site called Founder Dating, which Mm -hmm. is is a very interesting place to be because uh, exactly what you described occurs there. You've got people who have ideas, uh, some of whom have taken it all the way through building their minimum viable product and self-funding, which Uh is uh, the place where I am in my current business. And then there are others. Um, who want to get on the bandwagon of somebody who 's already got that momentum, uh-huh. uh, you know, but in both cases, you know neither one is actually bringing money to the table, which you know you talk in chapter two where you're you 're really honing in on this create phase that you have to temper those dreams with ideas, yes, money, structure, and teams, and if you only have two of those, or if you only, you know, or, or you're missing the teams and you've been able to accomplish everything else, which is actually, you know, again, the place where I find myself is I, I've gotten everything moved along just as far as I possibly can, okay. but then how do you attract the teams? And, and so, you know, it, it's really, really interesting to me that you, you talk about tempering the dreams and it, so it's almost like you need, you need to be running, but you've got to slow down in order to be able to get to that place where you can actually uh, release a product?
1: Yeah. You know, um, the startup journey is a long journey. And I like to say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And, you know, I know there's this current infatuation with sprints, and we're going to sprint here, and we're doing a development sprint, and we're doing a marketing sprint right now. I'm not a huge favor, actually, Um What is going to win the day, from my perspective, is a very steady application uh, of, yes, very hard work and everything else, Mm -hmm. but it's people kind of keeping their heads and taking everything in stride and perspective and realizing that this takes a very long time. Just the dip of the J-curve, and uh, it's funny when I explain the (laughs) J-curve, and I didn't necessarily see this coming, but... um, you know, I was down in, in in Austin, for example. and I was giving this uh, this talk in front of about sixty entrepreneurs down there, and you know, all the hands went up right after the talk. Like they want to know how long is the dip of the J curve? Right? How <laughs> how long is the tough part? Which I and the dip I refer to as the long cold winter. Uh, yeah. How valley. long
0: can you tread water? Is <laughs>
1: yeah. They're like, wow. Okay. Well, they know. The interesting thing is they intuitively get it. Um, and they love the, and they love the discussion because not many people have really actually told them that this is what's going on. Right. Um, and, and in fact, very few, or they may have gotten bits and pieces, but no one's ever really laid it out for them like that. And they get it. Um, they they know damn well it's not. I mean, they've figured out if once if they're into their startup for any length of time, they know damn well it's not a straight line. And right. Right. So that Long Cold Winter Valley depth takes. Um. I, you know, I. it's incredibly rare that it happens uh, in two years. Um, it's more like kind of two and a half, sort of three to five years. And it can right. take longer. It can take six or seven. And, uh, well, I I'm encouraged
0: months. by that, Howard, because, yeah. as I mentioned, in, in my previous venture, which was, you know, six, seven years ago, um we were able to move at a really fast pace because I uh yeah. my partner and I had you know each put in a quarter of a million dollars and then I ended up bar uh buying her out and brought in yeah. a local partner here in Tampa and uh he was putting in money at a pretty quick clip and so we were able to move really fast, but, you know, when you use the metaphor of, of running and the sprint versus the marathon, I mean, it's it's really apropos with all of us having uh, been watching the Olympics for the last two weeks. You know, you watch that guy or that, that girl who, you know, comes off of the starting line uh, really fast, but if it is a marathon, they very rarely are the ones who make it all the way to the end. And in that initial venture, yeah, we were able to run really, really fast. And, and uh, you know, but when I say we raised seven million, you know the answer. We needed ten, right? And seven mm-hmm. wasn't enough. But but now I've made uh, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum choice to self fund, which means you go way, way slower, right? But now I feel that I am at that nice marathon clip where I can finish yeah. the race. And and so I'm I'm curious. Um, where money a, plays into that dream phase because yeah. certainly if you're fortunate enough to be able to fuel your dreams and ideas with money, it's a different picture than if if you're bootstrapping and you have to get the structure in place. The team maybe uh, – I haven't actually needed a team to get my product in place. We're We're already a year post-launch of the product. Um and now I have to figure out if I want to raise money or not and i'm am still not convinced that I do so talk to me about tempering uh the dreams and and where money plays into that equation
1: yeah i'm i'm actually I'm really glad you asked this and i i that's i would say you know the first question I always get asked is how long's that long cold winter and the second question I ask is is or types of questions are all money related and this is what I think. Uh, first of all, of the two startups you mentioned, I can tell you which one I'd rather invest in. And it's a <laughs> no-brainer, except for me personally, but it's completely counterintuitive. Right. I, I would vastly prefer your current business to the first one. Uh, if, if you came to me it, it, and said, hey, we've raised, let's just say, I don't know, you were halfway through raising your 7000000 million. We've raised $3.5 million and blah, 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 and we got this and we got the team spun up and this, I, I would just run for the hills. I, I don't like those, actually.
0: Right, um, right. And I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. And and the interesting thing about the current venture is we actually uh, started seven years ago uh, with this current product in parallel with the other venture. I did this one on the side. And we went through the create, release, morph, mm-hmm. and put on the shelf. I mean, that's not one of your steps, but you know, you,
1: you talked. <laughs> no, I didn't have them put on the shelf. No, but but, it, but it you happens.
0: talked about abandoning right and and yep. shutting the company down. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate because my day job was yeah. still being a strategic consultant, so yep. I could go on doing that, put yep. it on the shelf, and then pull it off when it was appropriate, dust it off, and completely
1: morph it. I have and, actually, I did talk about. I call that hibernation, mm-hmm. and that yes. is a, that is a valid strategy actually, and I've done that before, and it's and it's worked out okay. Yeah, right. hibernation is interesting. Let, let me go. Yeah, let, yeah. I'm to go back because you asked such an important question, and I I don't feel I did it justice. Which is the whole money question. You know, um, first of all, I, w- I want to make a couple of comments. You're bootstrapping, and I say God bless you. I freaking just love bootstrapping. I, I I'm I'm like addicted to bootstrapping. I love bootstrapping. Um, I'm the
0: maven of bootstrapping. <laughs> I,
1: I I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it because. And there's nothing wrong with raising money. I mean, I, I've been associated with some companies that that it just you know their business model definitely calls for raising money. There's No question about it. And uh, and I'm signed up for that. If, if if that's really what it is, then fine, let's go do it. But um, but I definitely have um, you know a a, a, a a real love of bootstrapping, and I have bootstrapped a number of businesses myself, and I just love to see it. And there's and there's several reasons for that. Number one it in it forces discipline i i I, oh, I i make the point in the book that and i've just seen this and this is just totally counterintuitive but from 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 what i've seen it's equally dangerous to have too money too much money as it is to have too too little and yes. i would even argue it's more dangerous to have too much money than too little um, the problem with too much money is it it, it, encourages, um, it, it encourages it it encourages it it, 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 it it creates an environment where you can lack discipline. Um, and in a startup, you always have more to do than you have resources for. Right. And the problem is, if you have too much money, you might just go do those things, and <laughs> they're often ill-advised. And right. And so. When you have too little money, you spend a lot of time sitting around thinking like, well, given my extreme lack of resources, I need to think long and hard about precisely where I'm putting those resources. Right. And that kind of financial you know, discipline, which also translates into product discipline um, and simplicity, are, are just wonderful, wonderful traits to build a business on.
0: Yes, and, and and actually that is, and I'll I'll use a kind of a different term from the running metaphor. It's the throttle, sure, uh, that helps you to pace. Yeah, right. Because and, and again, in in that first venture that I described, the other big mistake, and I mean these guys were all wonderful people, but yeah. I recruited for that dream team, the former. Uh, head of AOL Travel, the former head of EDS Travel and Transportation, and the former head of marketing for AAA. We were building a a road trip uh, tool. And, you know, here I thought I had just hit the home run. But the problem is when you've got people who have zero – entrepreneurial experience and oh, all yeah. they've had is that corporate paycheck and the admin who does the stuff for big you problem yeah yeah and you can buy an airline ticket anytime you want then really? that's what you yeah. do
1: and here's what i say, and I, I i i i hope you don't mind if i use your example as, as, as a little bit of a what not to do example oh uh, not
0: at all i mean okay. that, that was the subject of my first book bootstrap business
1: okay. all right good <laughs> Good, because uh, I definitely address this in the book. There are okay during the early part of the company, you know, which is you know, as I say, that long, cold winter, and that's where really, the frankly, the really, 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 really tough work is done. I'm not saying that scale and harvest don't have the challenges, but but it's really the. It's the create, release, morph, and model, and, and of course the toughest is the morph, where you're really trying to figure out what on earth uh, the product is and, and how right. that thing's going to going to actually fly. And there's and, and when you're going through um, the dip in the J, the long cold winter, what you want, what you actually want is you want, uh, you, you do not want a big team. Number one, why? Because it's just too hard to sort of, you know, it's too hard to make sharp turns. And right. sharp turns are a requirement, um, and that flexibility and that uh, sort of malleability and the creativity, creativity, is very very tough if you have big teams. No, number one. Number two, I make the point in the book, and I and I really focus on this in the in the scale chapter, um, that there are there are kind of two two types of people that uh, make uh, successful startups in the long term. And And while you're going through the first four phases, the type of person you need is very, very different than yes. the type of person you need when you get into scale. And, and you could, you could, I could reverse that and say the type of people you need in scale are totally different than the, you know most than usually than, than the founding team. And so in the founding team, you need generalists and you need sort of people who can wear many hats, and you need creativity, and you need everyone's input on everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you're really, really a tight, tight, you know, team, and everyone's doing everything, everyone's helping everyone else out, and 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 it's fun, right? I mean that it, it it's cool. It's a, it's a small, flexible, quick team. It's like a you know, quick reactionary force, right? Or it's like a a seal team or whatever, right? right. There's, there's just just a handful, and they can do a hell of a lot, and then. But once you, and, and 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 by the way, the corporate types just don't work in that environment.
0: Usually, no. I, mean, I don't.
1: I don't want to count them out. I'm just saying it's a. It it's very very different and um, than having the sort of uh, environment where you have you know resources and you specialize and you got your admin and it 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 just doesn't work when you <laughs> right. typically. Like I said, look, I'm not condemning. I'm not, I'm not counting them out. I'm just saying that if 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 those if people with those types of background want to get in and do that, they have to realize it's a very different animal. And, and and, and, <laughs> and you know, right? And that's okay. Now, do, when, when you get out of the J, right, and you're emerging and you figured out the product and the model and you're moving into scale, guess what? You absolutely need those people, right? right I mean, that's right. when you got to bring those people in to have exactly what you just sort of referred to, which is these people have very impressive-sounding resumes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, they probably went to great schools. They probably got good good grades, certainly far better than me um, and um you know th- they have experience and right. most importantly, they are specialists right so you get like a the c f o and you know what he 's an accounting maven and he's he 's freaking awesome at it and he 's going to put in place the process people and money. Um, you know, to 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 make the scale, and you've got a salesperson, and the salesperson is a is a is you know an ex-Oracle guy and he's a, you know or gal, and they are killer at it, and they're incredibly good, Ryan. and they know how to do what they do, and and it's a really, you know, you think you get to scale, and you're like, oh, this is awesome, like you know now now we're like really going to take off and have a lot of fun, it's it, but it's actually one of the most gut-wrenching times because you yes. have to make this transition of the people. And the founding team, Mm -hmm. you know, it's quite often that members of the founding team simply don't – are unable to make that transition because they're like, no, I I, want to go, you know, have my input on marketing, and I want to have my (laughs) input on product, and I want to have my (laughs) input on, you know, um, customer service. And you know what? Uh, Sorry, but you can't. Um, You need to pick one of these silos and – and go do it. And you know what? Uh, you know, kind of if you know, if we want your opinion, we'll ask you for it. Um, you, you know, I mean, it's not that you can't communicate and stuff, but like you need to be a specialist. And the right, founding right. this is where the founding team you start hearing, you know, oh, hey, like dude, we totally lost our soul here. You know, <laughs> we're doing all this, there's all this process and there's all these meetings. And it's like, yeah, we'll freaking deal with it. It's a it's a different deal, right? It's it a is. different it phase. Is. And I think if people realize that up front, it will kind of all become clear and they can kind of choose what they want to do. And a lot of founders, um, you know, members of the founding team, you know, they might say, look, it's just not for me, you know, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that.
0: Well, I I laugh because uh, just a few weeks ago I got in touch with a a guy who, again, very highly placed in in a very big company name that everyone would know in the tech arena, and I saw that he had just left. Yep. And so I reached out to him, and it's like, you know, hey, what are you up to? You know, because I I I'm at that place where I need to scale. And so he was asking me. I sent him my deck, and we were talking through it. And and he said, well, you know, where do you feel you need to go next? And I said, well, you know, I you know I think we just need some additional uh, money to seed, you know, and and begin to accelerate. But you know, we still have a little bit of work to do, uh, you know, on this business model piece. And I wasn't using your your terminology, but so then he starts talking about seed being three million. Wow.
1: (laughs) And I'm thinking,
0: wait a minute. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, that would be like the first external round. That wouldn't be the seed. But the more he talked, I mean, the more I started getting excited about kind of the context of of why he was asking the question. And uh but it's so funny the orientation and you know a lot of entrepreneurs um do get sucked in by those big names and and the resumes and the and the this and the, the that, right? Thinking that that's what's going to make them successful. Um,
1: so I'm glad you
0: bring that up.
1: Yeah, and they and they, and you know and, and often I see just sort of uh, you know so, the flip side is that they get they underestimate their own abilities and they yes. th- they they sometimes lack uh you know, confidence or whatever. It's like, Well, I don't have the big resume, I didn't go to Wharton and get my MBA and blah blah blah. But it it it, it none of those things really matter. What matters right. is your passion and commitment to what what you're doing. And um look there, as I say, there's a place for for, 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 for for those, you know, true professionals and those people with deep you know, domain experience to come in. It's just, you know um, it, it they're a no-brainer in the scale phase, like you're desperate for those folks. right? Um, and if they come in earlier, you know, everyone just needs to understand up front kind of, you know, that it's a, it's a different animal.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a really important question, and this comes up every single day on um, on the discussions that are happening on founder dating. Uh, because one of the the hot commodities right now is, is the concept of having a technical co-founder and mm-hmm. and uh, you know whether the model is giving them you know a big chunk of equity so that they're you know really vested in the success or mm-hmm. uh you know any iteration of that, whether it be revenue sharing or you know the things that you can do before you can afford to give uh market salaries um the mm-hmm. difference between taking that approach and you know as uh because i I have not done that i mean i've I've been looking looking really, really hard, but I have not found that person or that company who could play that role. And uh, I've got an advisor uh, in my company that, you know, is just diametrically opposed to outsourcing of technology at all. And so I am wondering from your experience and from from your perspective, um, where nailing the technical resource And, and, you know, again, I speak as a a fairly technical founder, Uh, not, you know, I can't roll up my sleeves and program, but uh, I can take it all the way to that, that place. And so I've been able to get, you know, post minimum viable product, you know, without having to have somebody on the inside, but I'm ready for them now. I just can't find them. Right. So what is your perspective on the role of the technical talent? can a company be successful outsourcing its tech
1: no okay (laughs) sorry i knew i knew that that was the answer howard i just needed you to tell me you you asked i asked i got it but let me let me let me dive into it just a little bit because it, it is a very common question and it's a very common occurrence and and obviously i'm i'm overstating the case okay um for dramatic effect or not but, but yeah <laughs> but, but, but 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 let me let me just get into it um a couple of things first of all um uh, you know on whether it's first of all it, it, it's it's better let's go way, way 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 back at the very high level the data shows that it is classically better to have two founders than one okay um think uh, Jobs, Wozniak, think uh, Dave Philo, Jerry Yang, think Larry Page, Sergey Brin, right? Think um, it, the, the the you know think think Gates and Allen, right? Uh, at Microsoft, the list goes on and on and on and on and on, and it's just better, okay? And you know so so that's just the data, and I would say that's the reality. Having said that you know you could argue that uh there's Jeff Bezos right and um you know and 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 if we spend longer we 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 could come up with a, a a number of those so i think solo acts are fine too i'd love to know for example for, for for me personally, i have amazing uh folks that i work with and i certainly consider them partners but but ultimately it it, it was a, a bit of a solo act and and, and so 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 you know it's okay to be solo but it just happens to be a bit better um to have a founding partner and ideally and classically at least one of the two um has is sort of in charge of the technology right. now now okay so i just wanted to get that out there and i and i and i talk about that in the book because that's just kind of the data and if you really think about it you know that's kind of what's happened right um uh, by the way, you could also uh, – uh, uh, another one, than, uh, an additional one to Bezos would be probably Mark Zuckerberg, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I- he had perhaps more partners than history, you know, um, th- th- than the media mentions. But, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to give Mark credit. He's kind of kind of done it more or less by himself. He's had certainly good people around him. But so you can go – you know, either way works, but founding partner is better than a solo act typically but it's not right. a requirement. Um and I would say um for your particular situation and where you are, I, I think that you look it's fine, you know, you're doing the MVP and so forth, but I think that you want to bring in the technology, you know, as soon as you can. Um, oh no,
0: without a doubt. Yeah. And, uh, and, you and can, you can I you think don't have to the, do the, it person, with the founder by
1: the way. Mm-hmm. You, you you know you, you, there are things like O like um you know uh, Ode, Odessa now called Upwork. There there are, you know, there are which I guess is, is, is in a way is that is outsourcing, but um so actually that would not be a good example. But, it, but it's okay to do that super early on, but at some point you want to get someone who works for the company it may even just be part-time, but you want to get them full-time fairly quickly, right. you know, as soon as sort of money allows. And the reason is, look, you want to own the technology inside. And when you at some point, when you go out to investors, they're going to want to know, so, you know, who's the person that created this? And if you say, well, it's actually done by an outside shop, that is a bit of a wet blanket. I mean, you just – you don't really – you you want to clearly have the technology inside, and you want to own it. And the, here's the problem. It, when, when an investor hears that it's kind of all done on the outside, what we, our, my immediate reaction is, well, okay, but all I know is when we find that CTO and or sub-CTO, maybe just a developer, and we go to bring it in-house, what's the first thing they're going to say? And they say it 100% of the time. <laughs> they're no going to rebuild gonna it what
0: they're going to rebuild it of
1: course right? of
0: course they are 100%. you never go to get your haircut and the new hair person says oh what a great yeah the haircut. last, like, yeah, last guy did, did your a wonderful hair? job
1: yeah yeah the la- your last hairdresser was a genius never happens. no nope, um, i know you know uh, i don't have my chair so I, that that's not my primary problem but um but i you know it's going to happen 100% of the time, right? That that the CTO and or that the, the primary technology person that comes in they're going to say, "Yeah, it's a complete caca," right? And it's spaghetti code right. and we're going to and we're going to rebuild the whole thing.
0: Right, and, but see, here's the cool thing. I knew that. I knew well, yeah, that before say, but, I started. Yeah, so where we are, okay. it's the yeah. perfect time for for that person to come in. It's just yeah. I I wanted to hear it from you. Okay. of of the perspective on it as an investor because um You know, to me, I would have loved to have that person by my side from day one. But it was a luxury because I didn't. And and fortunately, you know, God gifted me with the ability to do a bunch of those things on my own. So I did them, right? Now, am I the best person?
1: No. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. But it worked. You you know, look, startups are a process of sort of, you know, by hook or crook, getting there. And if, and right. if you have the resourcefulness to, 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 to get where you are, do not feel in any way, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, do not think, do not feel anything other than this is great. I've gotten it this far, and just think about, you know, what do you do next? At exactly. some point, you'll bring the tech in house when it's appropriate and as soon as you can. And you know, that person, that technology partner for you. And they don't have to be a co-founder. They can just be – and they don't even have to be, quote, a CTO. I mean, you don't – Well, don't,
0: and, it, and to don't me, don't Howard, it's just a bit of a sham. Huh? It's a bit of a sham when you've got a company that anybody can go look on uh, sunbiz.org here in Florida and see how long my company has been around. And it's like, okay, technical co-founders joined, joined you seven years in? Really? Interesting. Um, so – uh yeah, you know I, i've always wondered about you
1: that you know just yeah. get what you need it does not have to be it does you know it does not have to, it's like don't overly you know you don't if you don't need a co-founder right now then don't get one i mean don't give right. away the equity for nothing if you right. if you if if you don't need the big the big time you know massive um you know architect cto type then don't get it You know, get the best you can and get what you need. Just get what you need. You know, don't feel like it's got to be part of some grand plan. Just get what you need and take it one step at a time.
0: I want to touch on a couple of other points in the book, and and, uh, we probably could have had a whole call about these two things, but you Mm -hmm. talk about uh, failure, make it your friend.
1: My favorite topic.
0: Yeah, so many entrepreneurs are so fearful of failure. And to me, failure has been my greatest teacher. So um, like I said, I could have a whole call about this. But but talk to me a little bit about make it your friend.
1: Yeah. Um, you said something that, that is perhaps the most important thing. The truth is you, 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 success is wonderful, but you really don't learn that much from it. You You, right. you really learn and you grow from failure. And so failure is an integral part of the startup experience. And first of all, I want to, I, I want to dissect the concept of failure just a little bit and kind of splice it into a different part. Um, day-to-day failures are going to come at you, as I say, like a river. They never stop. They're just going to keep coming, right? So... If you're not good at dealing with failure, you will fail, <laughs> right? There's a lot of paradoxes involved with failure. Right. Um, if you can't embrace failure, it's a certainty you're going to fail. It's a certainty. So let's talk about there's the day-to-day failures, and then there's failure of the enterprise, okay? So failure of the enterprise is to be avoided absolutely at all costs. Okay, you do not let the enterprise fail. Under right. no circumstances does do you want the enterprise to fail. Never, right? You cannot let that happen. Okay. The paradox is in order to ensure that your that your enterprise does not fail and your business does not fail, you have to embrace the day-to-day failures. And some are a little bigger than day-to-day. Let's go back to the you know the beginning of our conversation, which is the w- when I talked about how the original business plan almost never worked, which is a, sort of a foundational concept to to the right. whole book, the J curve. Um, if you don't embrace that reality, and so you could call that a failure, you, know, you should call it a failure. It's it, it just like it didn't work, right? We had this idea, right, it was a right. great widget. Everyone told me they thought they that they loved it um we created exactly like we said we were we put it out there and no one gave a dime um you know so at that point in time you can say no damn it i can't let this fail right and <laughs> you can say i just need more marketing money and i just need another salesman and right. darn it it's just you know we're not we're not getting the word out and you know you all these other you know um crazy things right and and so the proper response is we put it out there and it's a failure <laughs> You
0: know, right.
1: And it's like you got to scream that out loud. It ain't working. It's a failure. And you got to get the whole team together and say it ain't working. It's a failure. And that is what I call embracing failure. Right. You're just looking at the data and it's pretty goddamn obvious. It's just not going to work. And so that is what I call embracing failure. If you fight failure and if you refuse that that particular failure, you're going to fail. Because right. you're going to torch the, wh- whatever remains of your money, your team is just going to get increasingly depressed, and 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 um, and, 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 and and eventually the, it collapses. And right. so, what I like to see is people are just like, what's required is intellectual honesty, and intellectual honesty just means that you know damn well it's a problem, and you're not fooling yourself, and right. you deal with it. By embracing failure, you're dealing with these failures before they become catastrophic, and and so I I think if people re- really you know and this is certainly one of the great hopes of my of my book uh, in terms of you know from my perspective getting the word out I want people to have this conversation I want people to look at it and understand the different types of failure. The day-to-day failures—they're going to happen. You know, we're right. human beings; it's just going to go down, and stuff's not going to work as expected. And if you embrace that, and if you say, yeah, it ain't working," what are we going? Then you can get to, of course, the most important part, which is, what on earth are we going to do to fix it? And you know what? There's always a play. There's always, always, always a play. But you can't get to that play unless you embrace failure. So that's that's my cons. That you know the. the, the that's my concept of failure, and, right. and the different types of failure, and how to deal with failure. And if you, and if you really figure that out as an entrepreneur, God, it's going to save you so much time, and it is going to get you to success so much faster. And as they say, that it's all a paradox. Absolutely. Kind of a
0: well, at, at the risk of ending on the topic of failure, <laughs> I do want to be mindful of time because I told you we would uh, we would wrap up at one o'clock. And yeah, the it's, failure, bracing
1: failure, is just to get to success. So let's right. talk about success. It's just you know you're going to get to success faster, and that's that's what this all this honest conversation is about. It's just getting right. you to success.
0: Right. And you know the one topic I had had wanted to spend some time on, but you know perhaps it's for another day. Is uh, one one of the things that you do touch on in this book is is the personal side of startup life and and you know I've got a very long story about that which I will not tell uh mm-hmm. on this particular show but um you know you can't underestimate uh the impact on family and relationships and personal finances and and uh you know yeah. it is a commitment and and you yeah. you do have to go in knowing that you put a lot at risk
1: uh yes, I mean uh, you know, start of risky, no 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 question about it, but uh, but look, uh you know, in the end you're, nothing's more important than your health and nothing's more important than your family. And um you know, somehow I mean, it's so hard to keep it all in perspective and um you know, that's one of the struggles, but um there's a whole whole chapter about it in the book and that, that that uh hopefully is will provide a lot of advice and right, perspective right. on it. Right. Right.
0: Well again we have been talking today to Howard Loves uh the book title is The Startup J Curve The 6 Steps to Entrepreneurial Success Howard if folks would like to uh follow you learn more about you uh uh buy the book how do they find you
1: Uh yeah well a couple first of all um go to howardlove.com um there's more information about the book uh there's a really cool uh, we're just putting up today the um what I call the perfect pitch deck, which is uh sort of a pitch deck template for raising money and there's other oh, kinds great. of tools on there and uh there's links to uh, many of the great stores that are uh carrying the book they're going to be carrying the book it's going to be released in a in about a, um uh, uh just about August thirtieth possibly How fabulous bit, po- possibly a little bit before you can pre order now um and there's there's lots of great stores carrying us, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Booksync, um and uh and one eight hundred CO reads and others and, and come to howardlove.com. There's there's I have a blog there and other things going on. You can also follow me on Twitter at Howard Love and um you know thanks so much again for for having me today so oh it's
0: my pleasure uh it has just been uh, it was personally fascinating for me just because of uh where i am in my in my latest journey but uh i i am going to sit down uh with the book this weekend pen in hand and i'm going to write my my uh notes in the margin and then i'll probably call you and ask you some more questions cool. but it I has look forward been it. fascinating howard i really appreciate your time and uh, again if you're an entrepreneur and you want to change your game then I highly recommend that you get this book if you'd like to learn more about the Game Changer Network please go to thegamechanger.network and you can listen to uh, a number of our other shows Uh, we've got close to 300 uh, shows that we have done on entrepreneurialism and growth and leadership and uh, all of the other components of uh, moving your business ahead so thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next week
1: You've been listening to the Game Changer Ideas, Inspiration, Innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald. With
0: the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.